0: Well, as we think about this message, spiritual warfare, if you think about our nation, America, who is our greatest enemy? We may answer that question to say Russia or Afghanistan or maybe even North Korea. But as a country, who is our greatest enemy? If I ask you this morning, who is your greatest enemy? You probably have some answers. You could say it could be your boss, you could say it be a family member of yours, you could say it be a neighbor in your neighborhood. You could even say it could be another church member, or you could even say, and many of us probably would, our greatest enemy is ourselves. Uh, We're very difficult on ourselves. We say, I could never accomplish much. I'll never amount to much. No one really cares about my life, and that is a lie from the enemy. The Apostle Paul, writing to a group of believers in a place called Ephesus, he just said this for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As you ask for it, you ask for a message about spiritual warfare. And I want to honor God's word today as we talk about a very significant subject in the word of God. And I want you to know today as we share this message, something up front, that you and I have an enemy. As a church, I want you to know that you and I have an enemy as the people of God. And the truth of the matter is, from God's word, but we know in life, He is against us. He doesn't want to be your friend. He is your foe. As you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, as you turn away from your sin, you trust His grace in the person of Christ, and You experience forgiveness, new life in him. You're born again in Christ. You need to know this, that you did not enter a playground when you gave your life to Christ. Truth of the matter is you enter a battlefield because we are at war. The enemy is doing everything he can to come against you and me as individuals, marriages, families, but also as a church. I want you to walk through just a few facts about spiritual warfare. I encourage you to write down as we think about this message. Number one, warfare is serious. We have men men and women serving on the battlefield. It's serious. In battle, people get injured. They get harmed. Many people lose their lives in battle. Warfare is serious. When it comes to spiritual warfare, there are people who get injured There are people who get harmed, there are people who lose their character and integrity because the enemy is coming against that person, but warfare is serious. You need to know how the enemy works, we're just a few weeks away from the fall and we're thinking about college football and there are going to be college football coaches and the coaching staff, but also players, they're going to watch game film again and again and again. Hours of game film watching the other team because they want to know how they play, how they execute plays, but also where are the weaknesses of the team that we're going to be playing. Warfare is serious because we have an enemy. And to use that terminology, he's watching game film. He's watching your life. He's watching us as a church. How do we live life? How do we execute as a church? Where are our our weaknesses at? And then he comes against those. But I just want you to know, when it comes to spiritual warfare, people get injured. People get hurt. People lose their character and integrity because they fall for the lies and deception of the enemy. Number two, warfare requires a strategy. You and I have some of the bravest men and women serving in the armed forces around the world. Many of you are in this room. You serve our wonderful country, and we thank God for you. But as you go into battle, there's a strategy. You're going to be trained, you're going to be briefed, and you're going to be prepared to go do battle. As you and I think about the spiritual warfare that we're in, we need a strategy. We need to be trained, we need to be briefed, and we need to be prepared to do battle with the enemy. Again, we're not on a playground, we're on a battlefield. So we need to be prepared to do that requires a strategy. Let me get you to write these three words down. Not on the outline, but you're going to need to know how the enemy works. We'll talk more about this in a moment. But I want to give you three words about how the enemy works. One, he deceives... Number two, he divides. And number three, he destroys. That's his strategy. You and I need to know that he wants to deceive you and me and mislead you and me. He wants to divide us as marriages, families, as a church. And his ultimate goal is that he would destroy your life. He would destroy this church our character, our reputation, our witness in our city and around the world. And so if we're going to be successful, victorious on the battlefield, then we need to require and understand a strategy is in place. God's word will give us that. Number three, warfare demands support. As we have men and women serving our country around the world, many of them are deployed, they're in hot spots around the world. We thank God for them, we pray for them, we support them. And I know they support one another as well. I've been in communication with some soldiers even this past week about life living overseas. They're supporting one another, helping one another. One of the things they guard against on the battlefield is friendly fire. They don't want to attack one another. They want to attack the enemy but not one another. But we know friendly fire exists. One of the things that we have to guard against in the Christian life While warfare demands support, we need to pray for one another. We need to support one another. We need to walk with one another in life. We should stay away from friendly fire as those of us who are believers in Christ. Here's what the enemy loves, though. The enemy loves to see you and me attack one another. So warfare is serious. Warfare needs a strategy. Warfare needs support. And so I want us to walk through this today as we think about this message about some ways when we come to spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, that we can understand God's word, how it relates to our lives today as kids, students, and adults in this room and those who watch. Number one, consider the enemy's ways. Now now I want to take you back just for a moment to some other passages in God's word because I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 11, here's what Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says this, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Do you know how the enemy operates? Do you know his ways? We also go back to the Gospel of John. We know this in John chapter 8. Again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talking about our enemy, it says, when When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. And then here's what the Word of God says about our enemy. He is a liar, and he is the father of lies. He's not going to speak truth. He's going to lie to you and me. He wants to deceive us, divide us, and destroy us. John chapter 10, verse 10, a verse that we know very well, where Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's the goal of the enemy. Now back to First Peter chapter 5. We understand this from Peter. Peter was a fisherman called by the Lord Jesus Christ to be his disciple, learner, follower of Jesus. Peter did that. Peter, oftentimes, his mouth got him into trouble. He would stick his foot in his mouth a lot. And he would say things oftentimes before he would think through those. And so even denied the Lord Jesus at one point, but the Lord restored him and used him. Peter was a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Peter also is teaching us wonderful truths, principles about how to live the Christian life. So kids, students, adults, as we look at God's word, Peter is giving us insight about how to live a successful Christian life in the midst of a spiritual battle. Here's what Peter said again in 1 Peter chapter 5. He just says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. And then he clarifies this, your adversary, you have an adversary, I have an adversary. He defines him as the devil, as we understand as Satan. And he goes on to say, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And then he goes on to say, here's his ultimate goal, seeking someone whom he can devour. you realized today his goal is, again, not to be your friend. He doesn't want to play with you. He wants to devour you. If he can devour and destroy your life, if he can devour and destroy your marriage, if he can devour and destroy your family, if he can devour and destroy this church, then he feels like he's accomplished his mission. So Peter's giving us insight to that. Let me give you some of these questions. Number one, what does Satan look like? Interesting question. I even Googled this because I thought about when I was growing up as a young boy. Here's my image of how I thought Satan looked. I thought he had a pitchfork. I thought he wore a red cape. And I thought he had horns coming out of his head. Anybody else with me on that? Let's get that? So I just Googled that, what does Satan look like? And I didn't see any of those images. I have no idea where I got that growing up as a boy, but somewhere that was my understanding. But the more I've walked with Christ, the more I've studied God's word, so forth, I just see him differently. And here's why. I think he disguises himself. And as I think about how he disguises himself, I also understand from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the scripture says he disguises himself as an angel of light. And so that's why you've got to be extremely careful. What does Satan look like? He disguises himself. He uses fancy language. He can even take truth but twist it in many ways. But but you need to understand who the enemy is because we don't want to be ignorant of his designs. Number two, how does Satan oppose God? Another great question, as we see from God's word, the adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he can devour. Here's how Satan opposes God. God wants to build your life up and my life up. Satan wants to tear you and me down. God wants you and me to live spiritually free in the Christian life. Satan wants you and me to live in spiritual bondage. God wants you and me to think of others in life. Satan wants you and me to think of ourselves in life. God wants to unify your marriage, your family, and our church. Satan wants to divide your marriage, your family, and your church. That's how he opposes God. And so you need to understand, he disguises himself as an angel of light. He is going to be in opposition to the ways of God. And then number three, how does Satan tempt believers? When you're tempted in your life, and all of us are going to face temptation, we see that from the Word of God. God is not the one who's tempting us, but it's the devil. It's our adversary. It's the one who's coming against us. But how does he tempt us? Here's what he generally does not do. He does not come to your door and knock on the door, and you open the door, and he says, Hi, my name is Satan. I am king of the jungle, and I am here to destroy your life. He's much more subtle in the midst of that. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to find weaknesses. He's going to find tender spots in your life. And he's going to tempt you in those areas of your walk with Christ. You may be here today and here's what you say. I'm tempted by this, but I'm never tempted by that. Be careful when you say that because the enemy would just very well put a check mark beside that. And let's see if he or she's never tempted by that. So he's going to tempt us. So what does he look like? Disguises himself as an angel of light. How does he tempt us? Well, he's very sly. He's going to disguise himself looking for our weaknesses and then he's going to come against you and me. But look at these things here. I want you to see this. Number one, he insults. He's going to insult you and me. He is a roaring lion seeking someone whom he devours. He is going to be, he is an accuser of the brethren. The scripture talks about. He lies. He's the father of all lies. He is going to accuse you and me. I was in Mexico playing golf one time with some friends. and I was on the fourth hole, and I was walking to the green. I had some clubs in my hand. I was walking to the green, and, and lo and behold, as I got close to the green... My right leg stepped into a hole, and the next thing I know, I'm rolling around on the ground, thought I'd broke my leg, and so there were Bermuda grass that had grown over this hole, and it was an irrigation thing, but they didn't have the cap on it, didn't have a top on it. The grass had grown over it, and I couldn't see it. Next thing I know, I'm in this, I'm in, my leg's in this hole, I'm on the ground, clubs are everywhere. And so I finally talked to the superintendent of the course, and here's what he said to me. He said, next time when you're on our course, you'll watch where you walk. I said, what are you saying? He said, it's your own fault. He said, I've been out here for, he'd said, X number of years. I have never fell in a hole on this golf course. And I said, sir, you think I came all the way from the United States to fall in a hole on your golf course that you didn't have a cap over that irrigation thing and grass had grown over? Do you think that? And he said, you'll watch where you walk next time. He accused me of being the one in the wrong. Now, my friend just said, Brother, I'm going to take him in Jesus' name. And I said, no, 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 you don't have to take him. We're not here. We're not, that's not the game we're playing here, you know. But uh, he was ready in Jesus' name to get after him. We're in Mexico. And I said, Brother, we want to get out of Mexico, so let's don't, we want to go home when that time comes. And so, but and he accused me of doing something wrong. Our enemy, he insults, he's an accuser. Here's what he often do. Did God really say? He used that with Adam and Eve. Is the Bible really true? Is Jesus the only way to be saved? Are heaven and hell real places of eternal existence? He insults what God is saying. Did God really say? Number two, he isolates. The enemy loves to isolate you and me as believers. He isolates you and me. And I I just have to have a word here. And I appreciate you being in the room. And those who are watching, if in any way possible, you can join us in person or wherever you are in the world or in some other state in our nation, if you can connect with another group of believers, please do so. Folks, we don't need to be isolated. There are times that we want to practice solitude. Jesus practiced solitude, but guard against isolation because the enemy knows if he can get us isolated from Jesus, but also from the people of God, then the opportunity to destroy our lives only increases. He knows that. And that's why coming out of COVID, I think COVID was so difficult for us. Why? Because we got so isolated from one another. Folks, you know this. The church matters. We were debating during COVID what is essential, what matters. Well, the church is essential. The church matters. And if you and I need together with the people of God and connect groups and worship gatherings and fellowship times because God created us a relationship with Him, but He also created us for relationships with one another. We need one another in the Christian life. And that's why, again, if you're not able to, we totally understand. But if you can be in the room, you can be in the worship gathering with God's people. Join the people of God because God did not create us for isolation. He created us for fellowship. But the enemy loves to isolate us. Get us behind closed doors. We're not communicating with anyone. Nobody cares about us. And then the enemy just has a field day in our lives, but he isolates. Number three, he intimidates. He said, Peter just said this, that the enemy, the devil, our adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone who to devour. Angela and I were in Tanzania right before COVID. And as we were cruising around Tanzania with a ministry and sharing the word of God and having a great time in Tanzania, here's the amazing part of being in those parts of the world. It is incredible when you're driving down the road or in a place and you see this group of lions hanging out together. Folks, we don't see that in our city, and thank the Lord for that. But, but you walk around, you see these lions, and you see these male lions, and you see all these other lions around them. Then you see all these other animals. Those other animals never take their eyes off those lions. You know why? Because those lions are their adversaries. Folks, you need to know how the enemy works, and so the enemy intimidates and and it's often said even in Africa that on a still night you can hear a lion's roar about five miles away imagine that lion just burst out a roar and how intimidating that is for the other animals the king of the jungle imagine that he wants to intimidate you and me and he wants to intimidate this church so how does he work well just be careful He'll intimidate you. He'll isolate you. He will insult the ways of God. Number two, discover God's strategic plan. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter again teaching us about the ways of the Christian life and he gives us these insights. Again, Peter giving great truths here. He said, one, be sober-minded. When you think about being sober-minded, what does it mean? Be self-controlled. So you need to know where your strengths are in life. You need to know where your weaknesses are in life. You need to know where the ledges are in life so that you don't step over those ledges or even get too close with them. I'm always aware where this ledge is at. Many of you think he's going to fall off there one day. I'm always aware where this ledge is at. Just be careful about where you are. Be self-controlled. That's what he's saying. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. He says there, be watchful. You've got to pay alert. You've got to be alert. You've got to be alert for God's way out. When you're tempted, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says that we're all going to be tempted. When you're tempted, you be aware, you be sensitive. God is going to provide a way out for you and me. So when the enemy comes against you and me to tempt us, to destroy us, our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He's going to give you and me a way out. you just got to seek out His way out, be in tune with the Spirit to say, this is the way out for God for me in life. So you got to be alert. And then he says, resist him. You've got to live under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can be sober-minded, you can be self-controlled, you can be watchful, you can be alert, but you can resist him under the authority of Christ. We have victory in Jesus. Greater is he who lives in us than he that is in the world. Our victory is in the name of Jesus Christ. So you've got to resist him. And that's what God's strategic plan. I want to give you these other insights as we think about this passage about very practical ways. If you're going to discover God's strategic plan, here's some things again, I just encourage you to put into practice. Number one, guard against isolation. Just make sure again, you understand in life, you need an intimate relationship with Jesus. You need the fellowship with God's people. And you need accountability in the Christian life. That will help guard you against isolation. Solitude, wonderful. Isolation, dangerous for you in life number two spend time in the word when you look at the life of the lord jesus when he was on the mount of temptation and the enemy was tempting him what did jesus say it is written it is written it is written if you're going to be successful when the enemy attacks you you've got to guard against isolation but you've got to spend time in the word i challenge you i pray you're doing this because it's a discipline of mind that you are in the word of god every single day of your life If you're going to stand victorious on the battlefield, you can't rely on your words. You've got to rely on his word so that when the enemy comes against you, you can say to him, it is written, it is written, it is written. Here's what the word of God says. This book is inerrant. This book is infallible. This book is authoritative. You need your mouth filled with the word of God in life. It is written. Number three, put on the full armor of God. We could go back to Ephesians 6 again and what it is they put on the armor of God and make sure you don't just put some of it on, put all the armor of God on. One of the things that I seek to do when I'm invited to speak somewhere, come to a place that I'm not familiar with, one of the things I'll ask them, what is the dress code? How, do, how should I expect to dress for that event? Because one of my greatest fears in ministry is showing up to a place under dress for the situation. And so I'd rather be overdressed. So how do you want me to dress? Here's what I'm afraid of in our world. The enemy seems to be having victory in the lives of people and marriages, families, even churches. And I'm afraid at times we're showing up on the battlefield and we're not properly dressed as believers in Christ. We left some of the armor off. But he's very clear that if you're going to be victorious, God's strategic plan, you need to make sure you put on the full armor of God. Number four, strive for balance. As you and I go along in life, I just encourage you, don't underexpose the enemy, but don't overexpose him. Here's what I mean. I I, I know people in life, every ache, every pain, every crisis in life is always something from the enemy. Well, you don't have to overexpose him. Don't underexpose him. Make sure you know who he is. But again, don't be so fatuated with who the enemy is that you miss the greatness of Jesus Christ in your life. Strive for balance. You want to understand his ways, his designs, but you want to focus on as well the greatness of Jesus in your life. Then number five, learn from other people. That's what Peter goes on to say back here. He says in this passage. He says, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There are believers around the world today. They are facing spiritual attacks from the enemy. I've been with them around the world. I've sat with them around the world. I've prayed with them around the world. I've worshipped with them around the world. They are being attacked by the enemy. Why? Because the enemy, what does he want to do? He wants to deceive. He wants to divide. And he wants to destroy. It's happening all over the world. You can learn from other people. My doctoral project was how do you lead an inward-focused church to be an outward-focused church? And we carried it out on the streets of Brazil. Literally went to Brazil to carry it out and make sure we were implementing what we were studying, what I was doing. And one of the things that I found on the streets of Brazil is that if you desire to make much of Jesus locally, nationally, or globally, you can rest assured the enemy is going to attack you. When you are serious about the great commission of making disciples of all nations, as he has said, you can rest assured spiritual warfare is going to be a part of that. He will come against you. But you just need to make sure you learn from other believers God's strategic plan. So those five things can help you when the enemy attacks you. Here's a way that you can find victory in Jesus, who is the Savior and Lord of your life. Number three, trust God's unshakable promises. I remember the first time I was pastoring in Elizabethtown, the first time I ever stepped foot on the base at Fort Knox. And I was there with a decorated officer who had a lot of medals in his life. And, and I was just, uh, it was joyful to be on the base at Fort Knox. But it was also a little bit overwhelming to see how other soldiers related to the gentleman I was with. Such respect and appreciation. And it was, it was so wonderful to see. As you and I know, one of the greatest medals someone can get in our country is the Congressional Medal of Honor it's by the President of the United States. Very few people in life ever get that distinction. But here's what I know when I look at this passage in First Peter 5, and he says, The brotherhood all around the world, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace... The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think about those believers around the world. The enemy comes against them. They lose their physical lives because of their faithfulness to Christ. Can you imagine the reception they get when they enter heaven? You gave your life. You gave everything to be faithful to me. You didn't compromise You didn't deny you knew me. You stood faithful even in the point of physical death. Can you imagine the reception of the Lord Jesus with them? Let me give you some medals you and I need to be wearing as we think about spiritual warfare, spiritual battles. Being victorious, number one is the medal of grace. What did Peter say? The God of all grace. His grace is amazing. His grace is marvelous. His grace is wonderful. You and I know this, but we always need to reiterate it. You and I are saved, forgiven, born again, redeemed, transformed, assured of heaven because of the amazing grace of God. You and I were able to serve Him on this Sunday morning, carrying out what He's asked us to do, His giftedness in our lives. We're able to do that. Why? Because of how amazing and marvelous and matchless the grace of God is. There are many in this room and watching. You have survived cancer. You have survived difficult relationships. You have survived strains in marriage. You have survived so many things in life. Again, not because of your strength, but because of the grace of God in your life. My grace is sufficient for you. You've done that because of His grace. I can look back and tell you story after story of the amazing grace of God in my life. When I was ready to graduate at Belmont, it was my last semester final few classes I had put off algebra to the very end I was a math student in high school but I'd never had algebra anything like that I put it to the very end I go to the first day of class walk up to the professor and I say I'm graduating in just about three months and I think I'm in trouble and she says why do you say that and I said I've never had algebra before I don't think I'm going to understand it I've had basic math but never this and she said you are in trouble thank you very encouraging to me as I do that And so I said to my professor, I said, here's what I promise you, though. I mean, I want to graduate here in December, but here's what I promise you. I will give you 110% in this class if you'll work with me. And she said, if you'll give me 110%, you're going to be fine in this class. Heart rate went down just a little bit. I'd go to class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'd sit in class. Class would end, and she'd say, can you stay behind just for a moment? I'd stay in my seat other students would leave and she'd say you had no idea what I was talking about today did you I said clueless no idea and she'd pull up a chair and she says let me work with you we're going to figure this out she gave an exam and Angie's a great algebra student she helped me at home and so forth but she would give me an exam and she would pass them out last semester of my college am I going to graduate or not I got to have this class she'd give an exam and she would give me mine she said you just need to stay after class if that's okay I'd stay up to class and she'd pull up a chair and she'd look and she'd say you didn't do very well but she said I want to work with you on these problems and then I want you to take it again. That went on week after week after week and guess what? I came out of that class with an A. The grace of God folks. That's the grace of God. But here's what I'm saying. If, a, if a, an algebra teacher can show me grace think how amazing the grace of God is to you and me in life. I would say it's priceless. The medal of grace. Wear it well because we have received His unmerited favor. Number two, the medal of grit. This idea of grit just means unyielding courage in the face of danger or harm. If you and I are going to do battle with the enemy, which we are, we're going to be victorious. We need grit in life. This family from North Dakota—they were going to vacation in Florida for the first time ever. They're driving down from North Dakota, going to go into Florida. They stop in LA, Lower Alabama, and they stop at a mom-and-pop type place for breakfast that morning. And so the kids order pancakes. The wife, she wants oatmeal and toast, and, and the dad just says, "Bring me out some bacon, eggs, and biscuits." Can I get an amen for that? That's what he wanted. So sure enough, they prepare the meal. They bring it out pancakes for the kids they loved them for, for the wife oatmeal still cut oatmeal by the way too and toast she loved it and then for the guy for the husband the dad they bring out bacon eggs and biscuits and there's this lump of white stuff on his plate it, in Dakota, he didn't know what it was and so he said what in the world is that and she said sir those are grits and he said well I didn't order that she said it doesn't make any difference if you ordered it it comes with it you're going to get it regardless Folks, when you trust the grace of God in your life, He's going to give you grit by the grace of God. Not by your strength, but the grace of God so that you've got unyielding courage in the face of danger or harm in the Christian life. You've got grace, but you've also got grit. And you need to wear that medal. And then number three, the medal of glory. The medal of glory. And here's what that means is in the Christian life. We live the Christian life not for the applause of people, but we live the Christian life for the glory of God. When I do battle with the enemy, I want to be victorious because I want to bring God glory. I don't want to fall into temptation. I want to resist temptation for the glory of God. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Bible says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And so church, when the enemy comes against you, you stand strong. You don't have to run and hide, you stand and fight. And you do so, why? Because of grace, because of grit, and for the glory of God in a Christian life. And I promise you today, as kids, as students, as adults of all ages, the enemy is going to come against you. You're going to face a satanic attack, you're going to face a battle, warfare is going to be hot, But you can be victorious because we have victory in Jesus. Why? Because we have the blessed assurance of Christ in our lives. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Here's what I want to say to you this morning, and I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. When we come to invitation times like this, guess what happens? The battle even intensifies. The Lord's speaking into your life. You're lost. You need to get saved. You need to give your life to Jesus. He's the only one who can save you. The enemy says, you don't walk down front. You don't make that decision today. You wait till next Sunday or the Sunday after that. Let Jesus have victory in your life. If you're lost and you don't know Christ, give your heart and life to him today. Trust him to be the savior of your life. Baptism, you don't need to stand up for for all these people. You wait, you wait, you wait, you wait. No, no, no. Obey the leadership of Christ. Don't let the enemy have any victory in your life today. If you know Christ, but you've never been biblically baptized in water like we witness today, you obey the leadership of Christ. Come forward this morning. We want to see victory in Jesus in your life. Join the fellowship of this church. Well, do I, do? well I can do that another Sunday. Put it off another time, another time. No, obey the leadership of Christ today. You're facing spiritual battle. The enemy is coming against you. You need somebody to pray for you that you will be victorious, that you will stand strong in the midst of the battle, relying on the leadership of Christ. Obey the leadership of Jesus. Invitations are a great time of spiritual battle in the lives of people. But Jesus said this, the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said that, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Folks, walk out of this room today with the abundant life of Jesus in your life. Victory in him because of blessed assurance. Let's pray together.